Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. You to be glorified, you to be lifted. Sing it, y'all. You to be lifted high. You to be lifted high. You to be glorified. You to be lifted. One more time. All I want is one. Amen. We thank God for Mac and Betty for opening up their home and allowing our media team. Thank God for our media team as well who's um, putting in work every week doing this for us. God bless you guys. Thank you. Stand to your feet. Psalm 127, still in our series. Family, shaping generations. Let's get it. Psalm 127. On three. One, two, three, go. Amen. Our title for today's message in our series, third installment, is The Vision for the Family. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you and we bless you that you have given us clarity on things. You, you, you give us clarity. You don't want anything in your economy that you expect from, from us to be foggy. And so, God, we're trusting you and want to obey you in the area of being of the families that you've called us to be, whether singles in families, whether uh, m married with uh, uh, starting a new family, God. We want to be those who are clear on our roles and be committed to those because family is one of the central ways that you glorify yourself. So God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. My wife and I um, over the years have lived in about seven or eight cities. Um, since we've been married over the last 20 years, uh, not, it, it, but that's including wherever we grew up. So, um, and as we look at different cities, one of the things that was always a shocker for me when I went to other cities is so a lot of cities just seem like they were put together um, and they are still haphazardly sort of putting them together or they're already so fully put together that there wasn't a lot of planning and going uh, and, and, and going into that particular city and building it. The reason why I think like that is because I grew up in Washington, D.C. And, um, and, and, and then growing up um, in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, with, with Benjamin Banneker and LaFont putting together Washington, D.C., 
um, it, it, they put it together in a very, very simple way. Capital at the middle, everything's a circle, then it lines leading to the capital. Boom. Alphabetical order, numerical order. You get lost, go to the capital. You, you can go to southeast, southwest, northwest, or south, northeast. That's simple. Now, you, you understand what I'm saying? You know, I got to Texas and didn't know what in the world. Because um, Texas is like, it's 30 miles to everything. Like, everything. I remember we drove in Texas um, for eight hours and still was in, in the state. Like diagonally. We're not talking about like going straight. We're talking about diagonally. I'm saying we're still in Texas. And, and, um, and then mixed masters and cul-de-sacs coming up here and cul-de-sacs coming there. And even when I, as much as I love Philly, when I got here, I was like, man, like somebody should have thought that 76 should have been like four lanes. I mean, you know, am I the only one that just feel like four, 76? Particularly when you get by City Avenue, it just stops. At every time of the day, like it's like rush hour over there all the time. And that, and that comes from poor city planning, but just like many cities aren't necessarily planned or well, but they are thought about as an afterthought, many, uh, many, I would see many families the same way. Vision for family many times is an afterthought versus a forethought. And God has called us not to haphazardly plan, but um, to be able to plan and to have vision for why does our family exist? What has God made family for? And in God making family, why did he put these particular people into a family? Why does he have gender? Why does he have roles? Why does he have function and what should we do? Those are things that are a big part of helping us to have a more effective journey together. If you wanna see challenges in a household, it, you just see how people function without a vision. You're still gonna have some issues, but vision and role distinction and function will play a big role in many of us, if not all of us, having a more great uh, functional ideology in relation to how we live and live in families. And this, look, look, all of us are the product of vision, or lack of vision, or survival values, or purposes, or intentions, or whether it was good or bad intentions. All of us are the result of some type of family system, whether we were in the foster system, whether we were uh, uh, adopted, whether, whether or not we grew up in a single parent home, both parents, blended family, uh, stepdad, stepmom, whatever type, or, or nuclear family, as they would call it back in the day. Whatever type of family you grew up in is a lot of who you are. Now the question is, it, it, what's God's vision, not based on how I grew up, but what's God's vision based on the scriptures? Yeah. Now, in other words, now, let me, let me just tell you this. Many of you and all of us have issues with how we were raised. We have stuff that we're getting over in ways in which we're developing. One of the things I want to encourage you is to g give yourself the room. Listen, give yourself the room not to stay where you grew up. What, what I mean by that is there were many challenges that happened to us, and, 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 and heaven is sorry for that and wants to see you to have a better experience in life. But one of the big parts of maturing spiritually is not just languishing in how you were raised, but, but now saying, in light of some difficult things happened to me, some less than God-centered values that happened to me, how do I harness the brokenness of what I went to into something to glorify God with? Because at the end of the day, God is going to hold you accountable to your submission to who he created you to be. Therefore, you can't use your past as an excuse to be trifling in the now. In other words, God is saying, listen, I know that happened to you, but that's why I sent my son. 
I sent my son to die on the cross, and then as a matter of fact, um, uh, 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 40 days later, I sent someone called the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit came on to the church to be a guide into all truth. Somebody say all truth. And that all truth points to what is God's biblical value for everything in my life, and that includes family. And so as we come into um, this passage, we see that this is a part of a group of Psalms that are neatly nestled right in the, 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 the back end of the Psalms. And they're neatly nestled there. They're called Psalms of Ascent. Somebody say Ascent. These, these Psalms are great Psalms because they're Psalms that are really their family songs. They're songs where families would utilize as mechanisms of encouragement on their pilgrimages. Um, um, it reminds me of, of, of my grandmother who would um, sing hymns in the kitchen while cooking grits with all the windows open in the wintertime. Uh, um, it, it's, it's, it's those cultural songs um, that, that are just beautiful songs that are used as songs to encourage God's people as they're going on the journey of life, but also to pilgrimages to Jerusalem. These pilgrimages to Jerusalem would happen as a result of God having these holy days. On these holy days, families who were connected to themselves and connected to one another would, would walk or journey on donkeys if you were rich. That was Bentley ministry back then. But usually donkeys, you, maybe family had won a couple donkeys, put stuff on it. But if you was riding donkeys and had one to pull, you had some bread. But whatever situation you were in or not, communities of families would travel together in heavy packs going to these holy days. It would be like all of us in here right now being from North Philly as the people of God in Washington, D.C. being Jerusalem. And it would be like all of us meeting on Broad Street packed up with our roller bags and our donkeys and ready to migrate to Washington, D.C. by foot. That's what they did back then. Um, and, 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 and walk, and, 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 and when there were times of discouragement and times of fatigue, the head of the household would look at what was going on in the family. So if there were some hills coming up before them that, that robbers were usually in, the head of the household would have such a sense of where the family was and where their hearts were and knowing them culturally, he would walk to the front of the convoy and he would snap up real loud and he would begin to sing, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help comes from? My help comes from the Lord, the Lord who made what? Heaven and earth. And so he's encouraging his family through song to worship the Lord and get their attention on him versus what's waiting for them in the hills. In other words, he would say, I know we're going to the hills and I know there's some difficult things that might be waiting for us, but the Lord can meet us in the place of the greatest point of difficulty. In other words, a head of household is committed through these songs of nurturing the family and and, and kingdom vision based on Yahweh's commitment to them to remind them of what he's done for them, what he's doing for them, and what he will do for them. Which brings me to my first point. Point number one out of two. The family vision, number one, we must entrust our homes and communities to God's intimate involvement and care. We must entrust our homes and communities to God's intimate involvement and care this is beautiful because the bible says unless the lord builds a house those that build it build in vain or labor labor in vain or the builders labor in vain what's interesting here is the building and the watching is ultimately done by the lord you need to salah that 
The building and watching of everything in your family and in your life is ultimately watched over by the Lord. Now, notice in God watching over them, he calls them to still labor. I'm going to come back to that. Now, come back and let's look at house. Somebody say house. Now, uh, now when we look at house today, we think of structure. But in the Bible, many times house meant people who made up not just that house, but the lineage of a particular generation and all their generations of their family members. So when it says, unless the Lord builds a house, it's literally talking about a dynasty. In other words, men are supposed to be dynasty builders. Now, when I talk about being, see, that don't excite you because you don't know what a dynasty is. But a dynasty is a legendarily time-driven yet eternally focused Mark point in time in which everybody in a family brands into the family the commitment and the core values of the family, but ultimately the core values that God has for the family. That means that just like Diddy got a dynasty and Jay-Z got a dynasty and everybody, you know, cash money and young money got dynasty. Think, think of dynasty and insert that in family in a redemptive biblical way in which you're making a cultural mark in your generation, I'm not just talking about some stuff to go on the internet. And I'm not talking about some stuff to go on social media. I'm talking about some stuff that, that, you, that you're more concerned about than likes. It's stuff that happens in the home that you want your children to pass down, your children's children to pass down. And even the single family members who never got married is a part of that dynasty. Just because you didn't have kids doesn't mean you can't build a dynasty. Because dynasty happens when all of the family are clear on what the household vision is for the family. And all of them put their hands to the plow, both men and women, in their commitment to make sure that the biblical family values, not personal preferences, but biblical principles. Not personal preferences, but biblical principles are poured out into the family life. And everyone is able to experience the glory of God through that particular mechanism. And that's what men are responsible for. Men, that doesn't mean women don't have the ability to contribute to it, but the, but the heftiness of the role of household clarity is put on the shoulders of men. And the beauty of this is that God's commitment to this happens when we labor. Let me say that again. It happens when we labor. Look at what the text says. The text talks about the fact, it says, it says, Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchmen labor in vain. Look at verse 2. It says, in vain, you get up early and stay up late. Work hard to have enough food. Yes, the Lord gives sleep to the one he loves. Why in the world would he say that? It's because of this. No matter how much grind you got. No matter how much work you're able to get done in a 24-hour period, ultimately, the results of that work and its fruit come from God. Now, let me break it a little bit plainer for you because some of you think you, 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 you bossed up pretty strong. Let me tell you something. God didn't mean you to work all the time. Mm. Now, that's not an encouragement to the person that's already not working enough to work less. So don't say, oh, see, I knew it, I knew it. Nah, nah. But, but, it, but it means this. It means work hard 
rest easy. I'm going to explain that. It means work hard, rest easy. This is important because what God teaches us is everything you work on doesn't come to pass through your hands. Mm. In other words, no matter how hard you work, God can outwork your work. But in order for God to functionally outwork your work, you have to be working. God outworking your work isn't for you not to work, it's for you to work so that you don't have to work on everything because everything can't come through your hands because you're not powerful enough to bring it into existence. Let me see if I can make it plain. I mean, when we was raising money for Epiphany starting, and I'll never forget, I was, you know, I, I, I had to plan, I went to all the boot camps, you know, raising money, we had a little something, something for the ministry to start and everything to go. But man, I, I felt like I was running into a bunch of no's. I mean, 90% no, right? And um, one of the guys that was um, a part of the residency, leader of the residency that I was going through at the time, he said, oh, y'all wanna hook you up with this dude that's up there outside of Philly? You know, they, they, they've been going three years or whatever, and I'm gonna hook you up with him, y'all talk, and wherever the Lord takes it, he takes it. I was like, you know, okay, cool. So me and the dude start chopping it up, talking, and uh, he's a pastor of the church, and, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. We, he said, when you going to be in Philly? I'm like, I'll be up in Philly in a few months. He said, I bet. When, I, when, I, when, I, when you get here, I, I want to just, let's just connect and, and meet each other and see where it goes from there. So my wife and I um, get here for a visit. When we get here for a visit, we sit in his office, and, um, and, and you know, it's, the church been going like three years. They, they like got one service. We're like, oh, okay, cool. This is going to be a little something, something, you know. Maybe God will bless it. Maybe, you know, we don't know what he's going to do. So we're sitting in front of him, and he says, um, he says, yeah, Eric, so man, we're, we're excited about the vision that, that God has given you guys, and, and, and we want to invest in it. So last night, my team met to pray. I was like, Dad, that was serious, y'all. Team met. Wow. Okay. So, you know, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And so he says, um, you know, and I asked, we, we, we just let the Spirit of God lead us in what number? So I asked one of the team members, what did they think we should what the number should be. And, and, and we've decided to invest $100,000 into Epiphany. So it was conservative, so I didn't get my buck on at that time. But I said, yeah. did he just say he's finna give us 100 Gs? Wife said, yeah, baby, 100 Gs. And I was like, and so it, that investment, I was over here working. You didn't get it yet. But God was over here working. In other words, the things that my hand worked on didn't bring out the resources. But while I was over here working like I should, God opened something else up in order to resource things why? Because God always does things in the house to let you know it's his house and not your house. You, you have to recognize that not, 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 that, that means you, you, your work does cause God's work to get worked in your work. That's so beautiful. And that means you got to recognize that God's blessing is in open doors and in closed doors. Every open door, it's beautiful to have open doors, but sometimes we have to recognize that in building a house and developing a house, that no's are just important as yeses. 
And if you don't recognize that no's are just important as yeses, um, you don't realize that in the building of a house, listen, is God sanctifying you in the process to trust him. And if you don't, if, if you don't focus your, your, your disposition in it, you as a leader have to begin to, um, you, you, you express yourself but don't overexpress yourself. You gotta learn how to trust the Lord. You gotta learn how to trust the Lord with those resources. And the beautiful thing about this and the glory of this is that many times with houses, God always allows there to be more needs, needs to be this big, but what you have is this big. And many times if God puts, allows needs this big with hard work creating this much uh, uh, availability, it's God saying, listen, I got you and I'm gonna take care of what you don't have that you are working hard to get in order to do what I've called you to do. Listen, whenever God calls us to build houses, what I'm talking about is God is committing us to his passion as us as visionary leaders to make sure we learn the secret of trusting God in the process. The way a man develops trust from a wife is his trust for the Lord. The most attractive thing, the most handsome thing is to know God. Oh, you missed that. The most beautiful thing is to know God and to pursue his ways and to be a trustworthy leader. If you are a trustworthy leader, you will have a tranquil household. Help me today. It's beautiful to let God work on you and him to do constant open surgery on you as a trustworthy leader. And the more trustworthy you become, the less nagging that you perceive this happening will end. Most nagging that we get comes from the lack of vision. So, so when you execute and you're beginning to say, babe, uh, I'm set up a date night. Let's sit down and plan together. She's going to be like, oh, you planning? Oh, my goodness. you She's happy about that because a woman loves it when her husband plans. Yeah, babe, I plan. And that's a beautiful thing. To... I don't know what just happened. Oh, something happened. Okay. Praise God. Um, but but, but it, it is a beautiful thing to not have to push somebody to lead. And so, 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 so this idea here, unless the Lord builds a house, they didn't labor, labor in vain. Um, uh, you can get up early, you can be on your grind all you want to, but unless the Lord blows, nothing happens. And that's the beauty of knowing God, because listen, it says a, a person's heart in Proverbs 16, 3, plans his way, but the Lord determines or orders his or her steps. In other words, um, uh, we, we can make plans, which is uh, like the, the Bible will say earlier in that passage that plans belong to man, but the answer of the tongue comes from the Lord. What does that mean? It means God has given us the duty to plan and be visionaries. The function now is this, is that God orders our steps as we plan. He will not order unplannedness. That's what the text says. In other words, he only orders the steps of people who are intentional about being ordered. And so when you're intentional about, you, you, let me tell you something. You'll begin to get so much vision from the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something. When you begin to think about, what can I do to diametrically put this in place? Blah, 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 blah. And you're putting that thing in place. You're like, mm, now I'm going to give it to the divine editor. Let him do his thing. Hand that John back into me. And then move forward in the plan, and he will begin to open stuff. But God won't open anything without a pen. Proverbs 16, 3, beautiful. Commit your activities or your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. I love this. The word commit means to roll. Somebody say roll. Usually what we have on our plate is heavy, fellas. 
but the Bible points to it as rolling, letting you know you can't carry it. So what you're called to do is you're called to plant it, work on it, then roll it to the Lord and leave it there. Say, I'll holler at you when you're finished with it, God. And what will happen is when God gives it back to you, you'll get more from what you gave to God than what you gave to God in the first place. And that's the beauty of being a committed leader and walking through and working and planning. And listen, this type of mindset has to be developed before you start a family. This type of mindset is a very, very important deal here because we're supposed to be committed to that. Now, what's beautiful about the culture in which they were raised in back then is this, is that they weren't individualistic. Men weren't raised, and men, women were not raised to be individualistic. Like in Western philosophy, and, and this is very important, we're taught about our dreams and our, about uh, what we personally want to do, and, and all of that's great. But in the biblical mindset, and even Eastern cultures, to be honest, um, a, a, a way more family, tribal sensitive than we are in the West. Like Asian culture, much more family, uh, helping one another, oriented. Huge stuff, right? And so we see here that um, men are supposed to be trained in several ways. Listen, men back then were trained, they were trained from their youth on how to lead a household. Can you imagine, fellas, from your, from, from your toddler days to be taught this is how you lead a house? Now, you're not saying that all the time, but that example is there. Uh, from, from walking to money to, to directions Oh, everything in your life is built around you learning how to lead. Man, that's, that's, that's how we're supposed to be raised. We're supposed to be, we're, men aren't supposed to be raised when we're 25, 26, trying to figure things out. We were called, listen, now the buck has to stop with you, family. So I implore you, when you have children or you have people in your sphere, in your family, that you can influence, the best way you can serve them is by growing in your commitment to lead a house. As you grow in your commitment to lead a house, you can dispense the ability of what it means to lead a house. If you got a little cousin, little nephew, little, little brother, somebody squandering money, you ain't got to be married to help. You dig in there and say, yo, man, let me help you stop spending bread on Jordans all the time. That's too practical right there, ain't it? But it's so important for us to begin thinking about that and as, a, as, a, as a man. As a man, a married man, you have to begin to think about these things. And I think about them, but how, ways to execute. How do I raise a head of household? Raising up a head of household. In other words, you have to think of young men as they're growing up as somebody that's possibly going to be married to somebody's daughter, leading someone's household and having kids, who they will be the primary leading investment in that next generation. And therefore, Taking something so sensitive so seriously is so extremely powerful, and you should be dialed in as a man to want to do this. This, is, this should be a hunger of yours. It shouldn't be like some angry burden. It should be something that you're passionate about pouring out into your family. I'm by myself. Next one. Family, spiritual formation. Knowing where your children are. Knowing where your wife is. We're going to come back to this when we talk about how to shepherd a wife later on in the series. How do you do that? But we got to be thinking about the spiritual trajectory of our family. That's a big word. It's a great word, trajectory. That means how am I washing my wife with the water of the word? We'll talk about that later. How am I looking at my children and making sure that the environment is set up in a way that promotes a Christ-centered culture in my home? 
Am I repenting or am I using my authority as a parent to deny my sin? In other words, if you're wrong, you know what? Kids don't remember moments. They remember culture. See, household culture is, is, is the thing. They'll remember moments, but, but what shapes them is the culture of the household of what was normalized in the house as whether right or wrong. That's what they take away from the house. Our fight as leaders is to fight to make sure the household culture is a beautiful culture. That's why, I, I, and I, it's just tripping out because I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I spoil my daughter. I do. I do. I'm, I'm bad. It's horrible, y'all. Um, I'm, I'm so, I'm smitten by her. I'm just, I just am. Um, but what blows my mind is I call her pretty. I call her pretty, my little noodle, right? And I kiss her. I say, get daddy, give me the kiss. Mm, so cute. I just think about her now, right? <laughs> I love my daughter. And I was watching my sons with her. And they treat her like I do. And I was like, like it's one thing you kind of know that stuff. But to see them, I said, man, I got to watch myself. Because why? What you do builds the culture, not what you say. I'm telling you. Telling you. Right? We'll come back to that when we come to parenting. Um, even though you do need to say stuff. I'm not saying don't say nothing. Generational wealth building. That's what they thought about back then. We talk, see, the prosperity gospel done messed up us talking about money righteously in the Bible. And we're going to come to that when we get to finances in the family. But again, this is just an overview of things you should be envisioning. Generational wealth. How do I buy a house instead of rent for the rest of my life, a room in West Philly? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm living in University City and liking living in this nice little situation in University City where I'm buying all the restaurants. I can go to get hummus and all that type of stuff, you know. But then at the end of the day, but then at the end of the day, you don't own it. And so you got a cute apartment, but you don't own anything. And so you can't pass anything down. You're just helping somebody else to build wealth. See, men begin to think about how can I grab me one of these $30,000 Jones while I still can put 50 in it, plow, and I'm already paying $1,100 for rent. Boom, I can pay less for mortgage than rent, save some money just in case something go wrong. Plow, got it on there. I can either get that to my son, get that to my daughter. They can sell it after I'm gone, use it as another wealth building mechanism. In other words, men should be thinking about building wealth. I'm by myself. It's okay. Next one, land acquisition. We just said that one. Clarity of roles in the family, giving oversight to the stages of development of the children in the household. You know, one of the things I find myself in even now, I got three stages of children in my house. I got toddlers, I got, I got late pre-middle school, and then I got high school. That's, that's what's in my house. So I, learned, I realized as, as I'm growing as a husband and as a father that I had to separate my raising of my eight-year-old from my 15-year-old. And I had to separate them out, and I had to zoom lens on him in a way that's talking to him about manhood. And now I have to have a, 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 a Jacob-type disposition towards him where now I need to put my hands on him and begin blessing his future. I'll go there later, but I'm just telling you, just those type of things that we have to think about. Security and safety, we'll talk about that in humanity. That's a little grimy. Last one. How to protect, it is, how to protect the dignity of women um, in the household. Back then, it's interesting, fathers protected their daughter's dignity by protecting their virginity. It's interesting, culturally, 
what it was because of what value. And I'm not trying to beat anybody up about, you know, what you've gone through or anything. I'm just telling you what a father's role was. In other words, the principle is this, is a father should not ever disconnect from his daughter because he's scared of what's going on with her. In other words, because he's one of the primary shapers of her seeing herself a certain way, he has to be there to speak into that. And so back then, they invested in the beauty of that. I could go on and on about that. But it's such a beautiful thing for you as a man to begin to think about that. And if, I, if you feel it some type of way now, I want you to feel it in your chest because this is your responsibility. I want you to feel it in your chest. I want the ladies to eavesdrop because, ladies, I want you to learn what you allowed to look for you. You, 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 it, it, so, so it's both ends. That's, that's if, if, you don't have to, if you got the gift of singleness, don't worry about it. Neither one of y'all, right? But if you don't have the gift of singleness and you know God called you to be married, boom, listen to this part, right? That is, we're not putting any other one blast. Both are valuable, right? But it's very important for you to be an organized finder of a wife. That means you look at the mission of your life before you look at the ministry of the bedroom. Because the problem with many of us is most of us think about the, min the, the ministry of the bedroom before we think of the mission of God. And it's important that you're properly linked up with a co-missionary who agrees with what it means to glorify God the way you were called to in marriage. Many of us go off of first point attraction versus practical in-depth mission. Now, if you're going to be picky, be picky about that. That's very important. And, if, and, 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 and fellas, be careful. Let me just, this is for free. Now, y'all going to get mad at me because of this. I don't care. Y'all can't be friends. You can't. I'm telling you. Now, somebody got mad at me last time. I really don't care because I keep dealing with the fact that y'all can't be friends by the emails and text messages I get. I'm telling y'all that you can't say you and a girl are friends and you text her at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm saying you can't tell a sister by text messages, I'm praying for you. You can't, you, fam. You can't do that. Now y'all looking at me, people, I'm just telling you, what I'm experiencing pastorally, it doesn't work. Happy birthday. Say it to her when you see her. I'm, I'm telling you. See, vision for family means that I'm going to do whatever I can to protect your heart for thinking I'm pursuing you. And, 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 and ladies, everybody not pursuing you, though. No, I, this is not. A, oh. I'm telling you. Some of you are like. And see, you got to learn how to keep your emotions under control. Until he verbally says his intentions. If he hasn't told you visionarily his intentions. You keep that box called your heart on lock this down. Keep it on lock. 
Because what begins to happen is somebody say a little something, you open up your heart and you're imagining all kinds of things. He possibly knows he likes you, but he knows he doesn't like you, but he likes being liked. And what he'll do is he'll lasso your emotions until you're demanding a verdict. Then he'll loosen the niche and go to the next one. I'm, te I'm telling you this from 44 years on the planet. I done, I done seen this joint. I was that dude that had to go back and apologize to women who I didn't know I was leading on because I was not being the best engineer. Not of, it was nothing sexual. It was just I wasn't managing relationships with women well. That's why the Bible says, it says, I'm going to give you this free stuff, and then I got to get back. Listen, in, 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 in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he, verse 1 and 2, Paul says something interesting to Timothy. He says, Timothy, um, be, uh, he said, do not rebuke an older woman, man or woman sharply, but appeal to them as a son to a parent. Um, a brother... A man, a brother, but a sister as a sister, as a brother, with all purity. Why would he say that to Timothy about how he interacts with younger women if that ain't but an ancient issue that's always been going on? It's always been going on. And so I'm encouraging us as visionaries, as you're on the search committee of your soul for a wife, that you would properly manage your interactions with women in a way that doesn't embitter women towards Christian men. All right, verse four. Verse four. Verse four. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born of one's youth. This is, this is amazing right here. Because warriors, you gotta understand archers were the most beastly warriors back then. Most be they were the most beastly warriors. Matter of fact, many wars were won and lost just based on the archers. Chariot guys were good, but the archer Jews, they could stand back, way from you, light somebody up and not get close and get stabbed or hit or anything, right? And this is interesting because what, what's interesting here in him using this archer in imagery is that every arrow is handmade. And, and every arrow being handmade means all of them have to be shot differently. Because all of them have their own unique creation based on being handmade. So prior to going to war, a archer would have practiced with those bows to get used to, I mean those arrows, to get used to how those arrows should be shot in order to properly hit a target. And so that's what men are supposed to do with children. That's the beautiful thing about it. So how do we do this? Eddie B. Lane tells us this. Uh, the, the late Dr. Eddie B. Lane uh, does a great job in his book talking about this, um, the urban family. He says, first, a man needs a family which is designed to meet his many interpersonal needs for companionship, intimacy, headship, a reproductive context, and security. It's beautiful. It's beautiful what he's saying. Because a man learns companionship from the home. Second, he needs a mission. A man without a mission is dangerous. If a dude try to talk to you, ask him what his mission is. I'm telling you. Ask him what his mission is. And if he go, I'm the, I'm the air. 
Grace and peace. Dude's going to be like, I need to write my message. Right? But it's important. Because if he doesn't know where he's going, he can't take you nowhere. What's your mission? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Um, You know, I want to glorify Christ in every area of life based on my local church. You know, through commitment, community, convergence, cultural development, ministry. So I sort of build the nurturing of my household around that reality in relation to how I navigate my life mission. So everything in my life pretty much comes up under that umbrella based on Colossians 1.16, all things were made for him. And because all things were made for him, I'm just letting you know right now that everything I want in my life wants to be, I want Jesus' feet on top of it. I want Jesus to rule everything. My life mission is to pursue Jesus in such a way where his foot is on every single thing in my life. And so whoever I bring into that, I'm bringing under Jesus. I'm already under Jesus, so I'm bringing them with me under Jesus. So that's where I'm taking it. Any other questions? Amen. Third, man needs a social context. Man needs a social context which provides for his relational needs and affirms him as a man who is a significant somebody in the context of the community. Amazing. Fourth, a man needs a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which gives him a sense of unity within himself and with others. I'm telling you, a man, listen, a man, man who has Christ making him whole is the only man that can lead a family. So what does archery involve? Archery involves three things. It involves keen sight and vision for targets. I mean, you ain't aimlessly sh- shooting that stuff, right? Two, a steady hand. You can't be shaking that stuff when you hold, hold, hold an arrow. You got to hold that joint up, put your little elbow up like that. Say, I know a little something, something. And then you look at that target with keen sight, clack cow, and then you're able to let go. But then also, you have to have reliable equipment. That means you. You can't shoot anything unless you've been properly shot. And that means God can redeem you not being properly shot in your family. That's why Jesus Christ came to earth. Like many of us come from broken homes, but what Christ comes to do is Christ came and died on the cross to redeem the family. That's one of the things that he came to do. In his death of redeeming us and bringing us into a relationship with him by grace alone, through faith alone, through him alone, is he redeems family. What does he do in redeeming family? He gives men Christus Victor. What's Christus Victor? Christ, uh, Christ our victory, or Christus exemplar rather. Christ our example. What does that point to? In other words, Christ now becomes the redemptive example for a man. He, he does for a woman too, but I'm talking about men right now. He, he becomes a redemptive example for men on what it means to live for more than just yourself. That's, what, that's the great thing that we're called to do, man. We're called to live more than for ourselves, not our dreams. If your dream doesn't include leading a family somewhere, you have small dreams. Because leading a family and developing a dynasty is a huge thing. And that means in doing that, there are ways that you have to die to things you might want to do in this season. If not, don't have kids. Don't get married. You can't get married and drag somebody into your dream. Nobody wants to, listen, if you got a strong woman, don't nobody, no, no woman want to be dragged along in some dude's dreams and all I do is support your dream. No, that's not a big vision. Your per, listen, your personal dreams are not a big deal. Now, I know y'all get mad. It's okay. Because the culture teaches us dream. 
And I'm not saying don't dream. I'm just, does it include anything in here? Like when you dream, does it come from here? Not, I create a dream and then try to throw the Bible at it. That's not how life works. My dream comes from here. And everything else flanks what's in here. Why? Because that keeps me from getting in trouble. Because when I start making stuff up, flat out, I get in trouble. And that's the beautiful thing about being a believer is I don't have to like create a new vision. It's already here. I just take it, harness it, utilize it, follow it, glorify God, and live on the benefits. And most of this is about the benefits of it, and that's why we end here. He said, happy is the man whose quiver is filled with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies in the gate. You know, it's a scene in 300. Look at it on YouTube. It's, it's a great scene. Don't look at all the things. I'm just saying, just that. And there's a scene where the archers, these, these bad boy archers from, 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 the, from the east, and man, they have bow and arrows. And man, they all arm together, hold back their bow and arrow, and all of them simultaneously let go of their arrow. And man, the arrows go up, and they black out the sky. And they come down and they hit a bunch of targets unified together. That's what we as men are supposed to do. We as men are supposed to be a unit. Can you imagine a unified community of men cross-ethnically holding their bow and arrows together, raising their kids together, learning from one another, uncling one another's kids, and then plot out, holding back the bow and all of us simultaneously letting go of our bows. Why? Because our arrows, guess what? Arrows are built, children are built for war, and I'm praising God, and I'm asking God for a generation of men that are committed to raising warriors to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing that as their central vision for life. Father, we bless you. Father, we bless you that our dreams should not include you, but they should be sourced in you. Oh, my God, they should be sourced in you. Not asking the Bible to be thrown at our dreams. Lord, I'm praying that as we learn and we continue to be strengthened by a biblical understanding of home, that all of us as men and women would seek to play a significant role, seek to play a significant role in what it means to be family, one of the first institutions that you created. And so, God, we thank you, we bless you, we honor you for this in Christ's name. Maybe you're here today and you haven't placed your confidence in Jesus. Jesus is the most important family member in the universe because while he becomes our family, he becomes our elder brother, and he becomes our counselor and our all in all when we trust him as Savior. And then he redeems how we view ourselves, and he re redeems, which means he changes how we view ourselves and others. And nothing in our life can be fixed without Jesus at all. And one of the big things about things being fixed is the most important thing to be fixed. Most important thing to be fixed is guess what? Is our connection to God. Because that's the biggest point of family is God is not your father if you don't know Jesus. When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you come into his heavenly family, his eternal family called the people of God. If you're here today and want to place your confidence in Jesus, hold your hand in the air. What does it mean to place your confidence in Jesus? Trust that he died on the cross for you, 
was raised from the grave on the third day. And when you believe that, you are taken from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. Is there anyone in here that wants to place their confidence in Jesus Christ? Anyone? Hold your hand up. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a part of the eternal family by being brought back to God. And now you get welcomed into his family as a brand new person, transformed, renewed, and shaped, and set free. Amen. Amen. Well, let our Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.